This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. I really don't believe the text of 1 Corinthians tells us in any way that the gifts are done away with. And yet, for many years of my life, I sat under that teaching and under that kind of understanding. But there is other places. And if we look and we find a place, it's better, again, in the context of the Scripture, speaking particularly about the gifts, where we can see any kind of a time frame as far as their existence. I believe that there is. As believers, we must understand that we're not saved for ourselves. We're not saved merely for our own benefit. In fact, we're saved to serve. You see, we've been given a mission. That mission is to go out and proclaim the truth of God's Word. It's to expose the lies of the enemy. And in today's message, Pastor David will share with us what it takes to prepare for this mission. Understand that the most important way to prepare is to know the Word. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 11, for part one of our message entitled, Preparation for Mission. A lot of my life before I got into full-time pastoral ministry, I actually worked in construction. And during part of that time when I was in construction, I had the opportunity to work as a foreman and sometimes even as a project manager. Now, if I were to send you out on a job as the project manager, a job that I wanted you to fulfill, to complete in in a good way, I wanted you to complete it in the appropriate window of time. I wanted you to be able to do the job with an expertise that would show, again, a a quality job, a, a job that's well done at the end of the project then there'd be certain expectations that uh, would need to be not only upon me, but also upon you as the one that I would send out. For me, the expectations is I would need to give you, first of all, the the correct instructions of what you're supposed to do. In other words, the drawings of the project so that you can see what you're supposed to be building, how it's supposed to be built. I'd also need to make sure that you had the correct tools or the correct resources to be able to do all that you're doing. You'd need to make certain that you were equipped for the job, for the task, for the mission that I'm sending you out on. And lastly, I'd need to make sure that you were placed in in a position that, again, uh, fit your personal capabilities, or at least put you alongside of a crew that have the the knowledge, the capabilities, the, the experience, again, to be able to assist in the completion of the job. That would be some of my responsibilities to you. On your end, your responsibilities to me, would there would also be some. You would, first of all, there would need to be a willingness to follow instructions, uh, you don't want to send someone out on a job and say, well, I don't care what he says. I, I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And we send you out to build a bank and you uh, build a schoolroom instead and uh, these kind of situations. You need to be willing to follow the instructions that are given. There would also need to be a willingness to play well with others. 
In other words, you, you would need to work along with the rest of the crew, the rest of the trades within that particular project. I've been on jobs before where one trade doesn't get along with the other trade, and the, the tin benders, the, the AC guys, they don't like the plumbers, and there's a battle there, and the electricians, uh, we don't like the plumbers, and there's a battle there, and uh, the carpenters, they don't like any of us because we're cutting up their stuff. So you have to have this willingness to be able to work well with others. Again, Lone rangers within a construction job, again, they usually hinder the work, and if they're not working well with others, it usually uh, messes up the project, impedes it in, in many ways. There'd also need to be a willingness on your part to be stretched. In other words, not every job is the same, and not every task that you're going to be called to do is something that you're familiar with, that it's always, oh, yeah, I've always done it. Sometimes there's places that we go, there's things that we do that... We need to be stretched. In Matthew, the book of Matthew, in chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, Jesus gave us a project to do. He gave us a mission to do. And if I can really stretch the illustration, he was and he still is the project manager for that task that he sent us to do. If you've got your Bible, turn up Matthew 28, verse 18. It was here that he commissioned his disciples to go out, and again, his words to his disciples at that day are still the same words today. The project continues on. We're just a, a new crew that, that have now we're on the scene to continue on with this project. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, we read, Jesus came, and he spoke to them, saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always. In other words, the project manager is going to be on site, okay? He's going to be there always, even to the end of the age. So now we've been given this commission, we've been given this task, we've been sent out on this project. How do we do what we've been called to do? How do we do a job with an expertise that, again, will bring the job to a position that is well done and really and truly will bring glory to our project manager, to the Lord himself? As we continue on in our study in Ephesians, that's where we're really at this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul begins now really giving us some clear instructions, some clear directions. He's giving us, if you would, the, the drawings, the blueprint of how we need to be fulfilling the task, the project that's before us. Paul is now really getting into the meat of our walk as believers. And he talks about the responsibility that we have to walk in a matter that's worthy of our calling. He begins to show us how to carry out our mission, to complete the ministry that we, as the church, are called to fulfill. Here in chapter 4, we continue on now in, in verse 11. We're going to look at beginning in verse 11 through 16 this morning. We're not going to finish all of it, but we'll begin there. But we need to understand that the thought actually goes back, remember, back to verse 7. And we talked about how verses 8, 9, and 10 are kind of a parenthesis within the thought, within the direction of what Paul was saying. So, again, I want to drive home a thought, a a process, a a theme that we've had as we've been coming into chapter 4. I want to give it to you once again this morning. When we speak of the church as a whole, 
we speak of this great diversity coming together and creating unity together. And that this unity, we dwell together peacefully in the midst of our diversity. The diversity of each individual member of the body of Christ joined together in the unity of what is called the church. Verses 4 through 7 speak of the unity of the body of Christ as he speaks of being one body, one spirit, one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. But then in verses 11 through 16 and on into the rest, he begins speaking of the diversity of each part of that whole. The whole of the body is built from a multitude of unique individuals. And I look around this morning, and I I realize, man, the uniqueness of the body of Christ. The giftings and the callings of each one of us, individual and particular to what God has equipped and blessed us for and with. So here we have the body of Christ. We have a, a mission A mission to fulfill, and each part of the body has a part. Each part of the body has a place and a purpose in fulfilling the mission. You and I, each one of us, have a part in it. And yet, before we can effectively move forward in that, there's this need for us, before we get into fulfilling that mission, we need to be equipped, we need to prepare the individual parts of the body in order to be able to work as a whole in the completion of that ministry. That's why Christ has placed within the body these certain giftings in order to assist in the preparation of the body. We have to be ready. We have to be trained. You don't send anyone out on a job without having them trained to go through their apprenticeship, if you would, or to at least be alongside someone who does know what they're doing, and they can learn from that individual in the process. In verse 11, Paul tells us that Christ gave to the church particular callings, ministry, or giftings. He says Christ gave to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Now, these aren't the only gifts that are given to the church. We see other gifts that are given for the working of the ministry. Go back and look at Romans chapter 12. To look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a multitude of gifts that are listed within those. But the Lord has given these particular gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers, for particular purposes within the body as a whole. In verse 12 Paul explains the purpose really clearly for us. He says that he's given us these gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping or the preparation of the saints. And he does that in order that we might live our lives in and through these various areas of ministry. We need to be equipped. We need to be prepared. The second thing that he tells us is it's for the edifying, for the building up or for the strengthening of the body. And we all need that. Not only do we need to be prepared for the ministry that God has called each one of us to, but we need to be edified. We need to be encouraged. We get beaten down through the week. We get discouraged during the week. We fight battles, and sometimes we don't always end up on the winning end. And some of you might come here this morning, and you've been beaten up tremendously this week. You need to be encouraged. You need to be lifted up. And all of this working together for the body of Christ. Now, before we go on, 
We need to kind of take a closer look at these particular gifts in order that we might get a better understanding, not only of the gift, but also even the reasoning behind these particular gifts. And basically, I feel that we need to go through them because I feel there's a lot of misunderstanding in these gifts, and we'll talk about that this morning. The first one that we're going to look at is the gift apostolis, or the apostle. Now, there seems to be a variety of understandings, really, uh, not only of what this gift means, but also, is there any practical purpose for that gift today? Many believe, and they stand very firm on the idea that uh, the gift or the office of apostle is no longer needed, it's no longer valid for today. But let's honestly look at it, let's, let's biblically look at it, not because my denomination says this, not because my church says this, but what does the Bible say, not only about the gift, but again, the whole use of the gift. There's no doubt that the office of apostle was placed there by Christ. Men were appointed by the Lord in the work of the establishment of the church. When the church first began, these were put in place. Actually, it was during the ministry of Christ that Christ called his disciples together with him. And hopefully you you understand that there were more disciples than just the twelve. There were a multitude of disciples that followed Christ. But out of that multitude of disciples, Christ called together and he appointed these twelve. We read about it in a couple of places, uh, both in Matthew as well as in Luke. But in Luke chapter 6, we read this, that when it was day, he, speaking of Jesus, called his disciples, he called this group that were following him together, and he called him to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he named Apostles. Now, basically, if you get right down to the the meaning of the word, the Greek word apostolos means one who is sent out or one who is sent with a commission. There's an authority behind them who is sending them out with, again, that commission. We know that the original 12, uh, again, as stated in, in the gospel records, they were given this office, they were given this title of apostle. We also see how after the death of Judas Iscariot, following the ascension of Christ, you remember the, the 120 in the upper room there in Acts chapter 1, and they determined, you know, now there's only 11 of us. We need to go ahead and appoint of that 12th member of the apostles group. And so then they took the lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was selected to take the place of Judas. And Acts 1 tells us that he was then numbered among or with the eleven. So there were now twelve. Judas' death, there were eleven. They brought in Matthias. His election appointment became twelve. But yet a little bit later, what happens? We have this fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus who, who gets converted on the, on the road to Damascus. And in the midst of these things, we read on in the book of Acts how in just a short while, he is now listed among the apostles or as an apostle. He himself declares in Romans 1.1, he says, I've been called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. So now, now with Paul, we've got 13, but it doesn't stop there. Because it's an ongoing usage of this term that goes beyond the 12 that we find within the Word. Not only in the book of Acts, but also throughout uh, various books or epistles within the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we read that Barnabas was also called an apostle. Was he one of the 12? No. 
Did he have that same kind of authority? I don't believe that he did, but we'll look at that in a moment. We also find in Romans chapter 16, a couple, Andronicus and Junias, with these two, probably a husband and wife team. Now again, it can be debated whether or not they were called apostles or they were noted by the apostles, but it's easy to see that they could have been called if you, again, allow just the scripture to speak for itself. In 1 Corinthians and throughout it in a couple of different places, we read of the man Apollos, and Apollos is called an apostle in a few places in 1 Corinthians. Epaphroditus, Paul speaks of Epaphroditus having, again, this, this idea, this thought of being an apostle. We read about that in Philippians. And then we have another two, two men, Silvanus and, and Timothy, and Paul speaks of those in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So we have this multitude of ones that go beyond the original 12, go beyond the bringing on of Matthias, goes beyond even the adding of Paul himself. We have several that we see within the New Testament that have at least this title. Now, whether it is the office of it or whether it is simply the ministry of it, we can leave that for other debates. But those who were appointed by Christ during the formation or in preparation for the formation of the church, they carried with them this apostolic authority in building the church up. But I also believe that this gift of apostle, those who had been sent out, those who were sent out by the church to proclaim the gospel, they were sent with the authority of the church to go out. They had this commission. They were sent out to proclaim the gospel and to establish other and new works. In the same thought, in the same process, And you guys can check me on this. In fact, I I want you to. I want you to be like Bereans. And the book of Acts says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they would hear the Apostle Paul teach. They would go home. They would have their own Bible study and say, let's see if what this character is saying is true. And they would study the word to see if those things were true. I want you to do the same thing. I want you to not take anything just from what I'm saying. But again, if what I'm saying is coming against what you believe, where you've been, what you've been taught, then go back, look in the Word, study the Word. Don't study your past church's doctrinal stances. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about what one man says here or there. What I am concerned about is that we have the fullness of the authority of the Word of God. Remember when we were speaking earlier on about, again, our stand in Christ, that the Bible is our sole authority. It's not what comes out of Costa Mesa or Nashville or wherever you want to call wherever you know the, any kind of authority is. Study the Word. But there's nowhere that I find in the Word of God whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, what we read today as a missionary. The word missionary is not found in there. And yet I see the very definition of and the acts of what is called apostle as being what we call missionaries. Now study that. Look at it. Don't take my word for it. But unfortunately... I believe that it's due to the fear that we have of calling someone an apostle that the modern church has done away with that term and we've invented a new term that we call a missionary. We're afraid to say that he's an apostle. We sent him out to begin this work because suddenly everybody thinks, whoa, whoa, no, he's not one of the 12. Well, there were more than the 12. 
there were others that did other works. So we need to, again, keep it real, keep it within the word. Now, these that we send out as missionaries, again, uh, sent out with a commission from the church, these aren't the ones with unquestionable authority. They're the ones who have been sent out. There is an argument by those who are called cessationists that once the foundation was laid, there was no longer any need for the apostles. And I would agree in one sense of the word that the office of apostle could have possibly ceased. And again, strong emphasis on my part on could have. This is not a hill that I'm particularly going to die on, on whether or not that particular office of apostle has ceased. However, I firmly believe that the gift of apostle remains. The great fear that we have, or the great check on all of this, is when somebody comes into our our midst and says, Good morning, I am apostle so-and-so, and here's my card, and here's my authority, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to straighten up things for you. No, I, I don't see where the Word of God speaks of that. I've seen in the history of the time that we've been in Casa Grande, now for uh, 21, going on 22 years, at least two men that have come into our community that have declared themselves an apostle to the city of Casa Grande. And I'm looking at them. I don't know you. You're not, you're not, I don't know who you are or why you are. Who gave you that name? Who gave you that authority? Who sent you? You're not any authority. You're not any place to me. So because of those kinds of fears, we've done away with what I believe is a real and true and valid gift. We simply call them missionaries. There's, again, multiple arguments that can be stated on the subject by both those who are cessationists as well as those that believe that the gift is still valid. The one thing we need to ask ourselves in all honesty is, does the Bible tell us how long these gifts or these callings are to be in use? Is there a clear place within the Word of God that says when these gifts cease, when they are no longer valid? Some really stretch the point in one particular verse. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to drop down to verse 9. Paul writing here, and it's interesting to me, it's always been amazing that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians comes right in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14. Right there in the middle is chapter 13. And right in the middle of chapter 13, as Paul is speaking not only about the gifts in chapter 12, but also the use of the gifts in chapter 14, we have chapter 13. And right here in chapter 13, beginning in verse 9, Paul writes these words. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. Now, many of those who are cessations, they declare that since we have the canon of the scriptures, we've got all 66 books of the Bible here, it's now complete, then that which is perfect has come. And we don't need these other gifts. We don't need the apostles. We don't need the, the prophets. But to me, again, in the simplicity of my own mind, all I do is is look down a couple of more verses still in 1 Corinthians 13. Just look down a couple of verses, and suddenly you clearly see what this perfect is that Paul is speaking about. It was in reference, I believe, to what he speaks in verse 12. He says, right now we see in a mirror, kind of like what he says up in verse 9. Right now we know in part and we prophesy in part. In verse 12 he says, right now we see in a mirror. We see dimly, but then face to face. 
Beloved, does it mean that when we got the Bible that now we see Jesus face to face? No. I believe very clearly that what he's speaking about when he says face to face, he means, I know it's odd, but I believe that he means face to face. When we're going to stand before him. And the reason I say that is because of what he follows. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. I really don't believe the text of 1 Corinthians tells us in any way that the gifts are done away with. And yet, for many years of my life, I sat under that teaching and under that kind of understanding. But there is other places. And if we look and we find a place, it's better, again, in the context of the Scripture, speaking particularly about the gifts, where we can see any kind of a time frame as far as their existence. I believe that there is. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to theopenword.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.